When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Before the game kicks off, let's ramp it up with college football overtime. Here's, here's, here's Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Welcome into college football overtime. My name is Garrett Chapman. His name is, is Abe Gordon. And we got a lot of college football to talk about. We are into bowl season. We had our one week off where we kind of had to chill and talk a little Heisman Trophy and get everything through there. Also, we got a little uh, transfer portal conversation that we got to get into. But bowl season's here. I'm really excited about bowl season. It was one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, plus, we've got recruitment news and notes that we got to get into right here on the 24th episode of College Football Overtime. Uh, but one of the biggest things, and this is where I want to start with you, Abe. Um, before, Actually, before I do that. What am I doing? I'm getting ahead of myself. I got to welcome in my co-host, Abe Gordon. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, brother. Man, look, we've had some great storylines and interesting discussions the past week to 10 days. But uh, as you mentioned, we do get back into it on Saturday. The sport that we love that we talk about is ultimately about what happens on the field, hopefully, usually. uh, And we do get some games on Saturday. So excited uh, to pop a TV or two on and not change the channel for a number of hours. So. Uh, we're going to be after it, man. I'm pumped. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And honestly, I just got so excited because we actually have college football to talk about. And we're going to do that yeah. right here on college football overtime here over the next hour or so. Uh, but first and foremost, we got to talk about something that happened uh, today. So it is Wednesday evening when we're recording this podcast. Um, and we just heard news about Ohio versus NCAA. Uh, very interesting in case that might flip the college football world on its head, at least for the next 14 days, because a West Virginia judge issued a 14 day restraining order that grants immediate eligibility to any college athlete seeking a transfer for the second time. They called it an antitrust violation and the NCAA just as interestingly issued a statement saying they'll honor the transfers through December 27th and would not retroactively punish them. I think this could be a very interesting ruling throughout college football because, of course, we saw everything that happened with Tess Walker because he was applying to his third school or he played for his third school, even though technically he didn't play for his first school because of COVID. They didn't. The FCS season canceled. But now we may not see that ever again, at least for the next 14 days, where the NCAA has pulled that uh, the the waiver request because generally people could only transfer once. And that was really it. So now we could be entering into a world, assuming that this is our new reality. This is just a stay. So maybe this could go right back to normal. But assuming it doesn't, Abe, we could be looking at a world where college football players could play for three different teams or four different teams over their course of their college career before going pro. So we're talking about the high-end players potentially 
jumping in and putting their name into the portal, seeing who's going to pay me, who's going to do whatever I got to do, uh, who's going to toss me a couple dollar bills in name, image, and likeness. We're looking a little bit closer to free agency, more so than just kind of the wild, wild west. Well, let me start here. I believe this situation out of Ohio is short term. Um, I do not think this is the landscape moving forward. I think you're talking about what is essentially a 14-day window with a ton of uncertainty. And mm-hmm. I, I actually think most are going to be extremely hesitant to try and take advantage of what is very largely an unknown situation. I know they say that retroactively there may not be penalties. Um, I, I'm not sure I believe that. I, I know there's situations where there's some concern about, quote, playing an ineligible player could come mm-hmm. to pass. Um, it, you know, the way it's written, you, you're able to play until December 27th without penalty. It's not about transferring without penalty. Uh, it's about playing. And, and obviously you would transfer, but if you transfer and then play at a later date, is there a penalty? There's still a lot of uncertainties here. And, and I just think people are going to be very hesitant to try and take advantage of this. Um, look, the transfer portal and, and the transfer window, I think is open enough to, to, you get the one free transfer, you get a graduate transfer. Um, and, and we've seen a couple of situations uh, like that as well. There's some news about I, Notre Dame and Arizona state quarterback Drew Pine is going back and th- he may be a guy that's taking advantage of this ruling. He's going back to Notre Dame not to play football, to take one semester, get his degree, and then as a grad transfer, go elsewhere and play one more year. So uh, uh, there are going to be some odd situations like that where um, football's not even involved. He's talking about going and getting a degree and then using the grad transfer rule as well on top of this. So uh, very interesting there to go back. But I, I just think there's a lot more uncertainty than is being presented. I, I would be extremely, extremely hesitant. Now, if this is how it is moving forward, right, and it gets upheld again uh, on, I, I think it was December 27th, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe we'll have a different discussion where we really have to, all right, now this is permanent. We've got to really denote what is and isn't allowed, how it's going to affect, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I would be very careful in this window right now because I, I just think that it's a short-term thing and it's going to mm-hmm. get overturned, uh, and I, I don't want to get caught up in that where you're in a situation like a Tez Walker for whatever reason, something happens and you just can't play that season. And now that would be incredibly unfair to begin with as well. Um, And how many times are we like, come on NCAA, just do the right thing. Very often they don't do the right thing. And so that's not a discussion I would like to get caught up in. If I'm one of these student athletes, I just think there's a lot of uncertainty. I would be very hesitant, Um, but boy, it is a step towards an interesting situation uh, if it does become permanent. I personally think it won't, but if it does, you are right. I I mean, you are talking about a whole nother level of transfer, a whole nother level of NIL, uh, a whole nother level of how coaches uh, attack building their programs. Mm -hmm. Um, It would be interesting, but I think right now it is short term. So uh, I don't think it's going to have the impact that many do, um, but I could be wrong. I definitely could be wrong. Yeah, I, I ultimately don't think it's good for the sport if that's where we right. end up going. Um, at, at that point, I think we need to really – I think we're past the point where conferences need to step in and make make some sort of ruling on this, create some rules, 
um, at least at the power five level. Well, let, you know, me, let like, me ask you real quick. Did you like the rule um, where you couldn't transfer in conference and play immediately? You had to go outside of your conference. Was that a little no, too, too unfair? No, I little thought that was a little, or? I thought that was a little too much because okay. if you think about it, like if you really think about it, it's like I like if I'm a kid from Georgia, which of course I am a kid from Georgia, and I transfer and I and I play at uh, at Auburn or something, and I want to go a little closer to home, but I still want to play in the SEC and have those those rules. Uh, like, I, you know, we just play in the SEC close to home. I'd want to go to Georgia, you know, because it's it's a close to home thing or or whatever. It's like or Sam from South Carolina, same basic concept, you know. Um, All right. So what if we had this wonky, what if we had this wonky adjustment from the world of soccer or football, Uh, you could transfer, but you can't play against that team. You know how, if you're on loan from a big, a big club, if you meet up in the regular season, you can't play against your, you're getting so, that's, I know, I know. Imagine, imagine leads Kentucky to a, an SEC title game against Georgia, and somehow he's not allowed to play. And then he's that'd not allowed hilarious. to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd, oh man, no, that'd be terrible. <laughs> I think that'd be awful. I know, I know. Uh, I I get what you're saying, but no, I honestly, I'm not a big fan of rules like that. Let the kids play where they want to play. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like you. Once we've inserted money into this sort of thing, I don't know. It just turns into the wild west, and I, I think it's it's very dangerous, and it's not good for the sport. It's not good for these coaching staffs. And if we end up seeing that, and, I, and of course I have, I, I want to see the good things happen for these athletes because many of them, this is the only real opportunity that they have to go profit off of themselves and, you know, play football for and earn some coin on the side. Like this is really the one of the only times for the vast majority of these guys, many of them, they, they still have to provide for their families or do something else. And um, look, I, I love that. But at the same time, it's like, we have to protect the actual sport itself. We have to protect college football. And to an extent, sometimes you just got to make that sacrifice. You're not allowed to do some of those things, you know? And what I really, really want to avoid is the world where athletes need to start signing contracts to play with teams. It's kind of sort of what we see in the NFL or really in any professional sporting league. That's really what I want to avoid. Because if we get to the spot where, of course, we're going to talk about here about Dylan Rayola here in a second. If we if they required him to sign a contract to come play for you, because then it's going to be I understand like some of these guys probably pay contracts, sign contracts already as far as name, image, and likeness is concerned. Because if you're throwing around seven figures, then yeah, I want you to sign your name on a dotted line and, and make sure that I'm actually getting some return on my investment. But the thing is, it's like I want to avoid that for institutions. I understand you have your letters of intent, and I understand that like once you sign that, you your 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 football playing career belongs to that institution, but. I don't want it to be like, oh, you are required to play here for X number of years. You you have to do this. This is the max that you're allowed to earn, or this is the minimum that you're allowed to go out and make appearances or whatever. Contracts like that, I think then we're away from the amateurism of the sport, which honestly, we might be there already. But I think we're just in a very dangerous spot, or at least a spot that's fully in flux. And I don't know where the sport is going. I don't all, I also don't know if this is necessarily good or bad for the sport. I do know that if you're transferring multiple times throughout the course of your career, I think that that means bad things for your future development and your, and your potential NFL career, uh, well, just on an individual basis. Yeah, I, I think there's a middle ground. And what you're, what you're trying to do here, and not even necessarily with this ruling, but with NIL, with transfer allowances, the portal, mm-hmm. all of it, 
you're, you're trying to give these young kids, these student athletes, some freedom. But at the same time, it cannot be a free for all. Uh, no. And there's a middle ground there. That's what you have to navigate. You, you can't just open it up and essentially have the inmates running the asylum, right? But but there has to be a little bit more flexibility um, to allow, for various reasons, the betterment of their livelihoods, their future, whatever it may be. And, and someone is it, it's tough to decide what is best for them um, because look, we we've seen often a, a transfer that works out for the better, um, whether it's in football or a non-football reason. Um, but we've also seen the other way as well. And so um, there, there's got to be some sort of, uh, uh, of barriers, um, mm. but it can't be so tight that you give them no freedom. So I, I would say there's a middle ground of give the kids freedom, but it can't be a free for all. That, that's how I kind of would, would, would look to set this up in the future. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm just not, I'm past looking to the NCAA for any sort of guidance on these sorts of things. I, I don't think that they're effective at doing this. I think all of it needs to come from the, the, the commissioners, whether that's Greg Sankey or, or whoever else. I mean, one of the commissioners needs to step up and start leading the charge on this yeah. because the only way that we're going to actually avoid anything and get anything done is if the conference commissioners actually step in and do something about it. And I just don't believe in, in Baker or anybody else at the NCAA offices that to, to actually step in and get something done. But, Abe, I do want to move on into the other tr other news of the day, transfer portal. I know we just talked a little bit about what the transfer portal could become, but let's talk about what it is right now. And right now, Tyler Van Dyke off to Wisconsin. Is that 2021 Tyler Van Dyke in there somewhere? 300 yards passing that year, or he averaged 300 yards passing, I should say, had 25 touchdowns, six interceptions. Phil Longo, Luke Fickle, two very good coaches. They'll throw the ball a lot up there in Madison, Wisconsin. I like the fit. They, uh, Of course, they had uh, Tanner Mordecai, who was up there to the SMU transfer. He didn't work out mostly because of injuries, but the guy you're bringing in has struggled with injuries in the past. Do you think that this is a potential marriage that could work out for the better in Wisconsin? I have always viewed Wisconsin as an offense that can be run by a guy that doesn't have to be a, a, a first-round NFL talent. And, and because I'm going to be honest with you uh, in regards to what Van Dyke is, he he is not a top-of-the-draft guy. And I'm not trying to be harsh. I think I'm trying to be realistic. I think there's a lot of guys running programs who are not top-of-the-draft guys. Well, look, I'm a Florida Gator fan. Uh, Graham Mertz came from up that way. He's not a top-of-the-draft guy. Um but he's a guy that left that system and had success elsewhere. I, I think it is fair. And look, maybe I'm a little bit too old school back to uh, the Wisconsin of five years ago, 10 years ago with the dominant run games and, and, and what they did uh, outside with the quarterbacks. But I, I think you can get away without having that Wisconsin quarterback try to do too much. Um, and I think that's ultimately, in my opinion, what caught up. With Tyler Van Dyke, I, I think Miami, the expectations got heavy and they asked him to do too much. Um, and, and he's not a guy that's going to make some of those throws and, and it cost them on offense. And, and so um, I think if you settle it down and simplify what you're asking him to do, I, I do think he can have success there. I do think it's a good fit. But 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 look, even in a 12 team playoff, I think I'm being fair with what the Big Ten is going to be. I like Luke Fickle. I'm not expecting Tyler Van Dyke to go up to Wisconsin, go up into Madison and turn this team into a playoff team. 
I don't think they're a top 15 program right now. And so I want to keep these expectations realistic on most of these transfers. I think we're going to see a lot of guys maneuver around. And we'll talk about one in just a moment who, who does move to a program that probably is a top 15 program and does have that pressure. I don't put that pressure on Tyler Van Dyke to, to, to get this team to, I mean, nine and three maybe gets you uh, the 10, 11, 12 seed, but 10 and two probably gets you in that discussion. I don't think that's realistic, but, but can you get to a bowl game, kind of re-solidify the program, that sort of thing, maybe get your head coach a, a, a boost, uh, as he starts to try and build a program in what will be his second year. I, I do think Tyler Van Dyke can do that. I, I think he's a good, solid college quarterback, but being realistic, I don't think he's going to chew up draft boards because of going to Wisconsin. I will say, though, you you said he's not a top-of-the-draft kind of guy following that 2021 season. He was considered a top-of-the-draft kind of guy, has a lot of the intangibles, he has the arm strength, he has the physical size. It's just sometimes the decision-making was lacking uh, sometimes, and then he got hurt. And I think that at the end of the day, whenever that kind of thing sort of piles on, it doesn't, it, it kind of mars your image a little bit. And I think he of most of these guys that I've seen enter the portal, he was one guy who I think needed it the most, if you will. He needed to get out of Miami. He needed to hit a reset button. I think he can do a really good job up there in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm excited to see what Phil Longo can do with him. I think, and I think you, you nailed it. We saw this with DJ Uyengalale last year. Sometimes you just need to hit the reset button. Sometimes you just need to go somewhere where expectations aren't quite so high. Yeah. And I understand Madison, Wisconsin. They play good football up there in Madison. Uh, they've had some really good players come through that 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 program. Uh, I mean, look, you said with you, the, you with old the school Jonathan programs. Taylor. Jonathan Taylor just came through there. He was yeah. the most recent one. And everyone knows that Jonathan Taylor was a, a freak at the college level. He was awesome. And he's a freak at the, at the professional level as well. Um, and that's what they've been known for. But. I think I think Tyler Van Dyke could be a good fit from there. Yeah, I, I think you you banged it on the head with the change of scenery it does do him good. Um, but but with the incoming programs, you are at best probably the fifth best program in the conference. Probably not even that high. Um, and and they're so, right there with a Washington. I don't know. I don't know if they're a, they're above an Oregon all time. I, I'd say I'm not talking about all time. I'm talking about like like right, right now, now sure. right yeah, where, where they're trending right now. No, I'm not talking about That's historically I, where you're trending right now. Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon, Washington, uh, and maybe they're in that. UCLA type of area yeah, at I the moment, a, but they're a good team. They're a good yeah, yeah. program. They are. And I think Luke fickle in year two is really, he needed a dude who he can kind of hitch his wagon. Do. Yeah. And I think Tyler Van Dyke is at the very least a, a, a good option for yeah. it. We'll see if he's a great option. I think right. if he plays to his peak, we could be talking about Tyler Van Dyke in a much different light this time next year. Uh, it remains to be seen if he can play a full health, full season healthy. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing for him. But one guy who called his new his new destination a quote dream come true, Riley Leonard leaves the Duke Blue Devils and moves up to South Bend, Indiana, to go play for Notre Dame. I think this is a match made in heaven. I love it. It's his final season of eligibility at the collegiate level. We saw what he was able to do at Duke. He he got the Blue Devils up to their highest ever AP ranking in program history after an upset win over Clemson and. Look, at the end of the day, if this guy doesn't aggravate an ankle injury, we could be looking at this Duke team as a program that could have been playing in an ACC championship game. 
And, and that does not seem so far-fetched. The defense at one point just sort of fell off. Um, you had the rushing attack. You had the quarterback. He has the athleticism that I think was really lacking at that position this year. Sam Hartman's a good player. He's moving on to the NFL. He's opting out of the bowl game. Uh, he's going to go prepare for the NFL draft. He's got arm talent. The athleticism is not exactly there. Um, Riley Leonard is the antithesis of that. He has that athleticism. He can get out in space and run and do a lot of things with the football. He could throw the ball, and he's intelligent enough to make good decisions with the ball. I think this could be a potential slam dunk for Riley Leonard. I thought he was the best quarterback in the portal, um, or at least one of the very best. He's, he's right up there at the top. I think he actually finishes the number two player in the portal behind Cam or behind Dante Moore, I think. But I, I can I can talk rankings all day. I think the fit is good. The fit is what matters the most. Yeah, th this was one that seemed kind of destined pretty early, uh, well before he actually announced it. And look, uh, you look at what Sam Hartman was able to do in there. I, I think Sam Hartman is extremely talented with his arm, but as you mentioned, a little bit more limited than Riley Leonard is athletically and getting outside the pocket and extending and making plays, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be very interesting. Um, but, but this is a guy who steps in, similar to how Sam Hartman stepped in, um, and you've got to get into the top 12. Uh, that's what you bring Riley Leonard into this program to do. Uh, win big games and find yourself at the end of the year in the college football playoffs. And mm. is that a realistic goal for him and for Marcus Freeman in year three? Uh, year three? I, I think it has to be. I think based on where the program was um, this year, and even some of the games that they lost that that they we felt they should have been better at, a better in, mm -hmm. um, you know, how much can Riley Leonard uh, adjust and change that? I, I do have some questions about Riley Leonard. Uh, there's no doubt Duke was better without him, or excuse me, with him. I apologize. There's no doubt that Duke was a better team with him. Uh, I do have questions about his arm. Uh, I, I thought he relied quite a lot on his um, athleticism and legs to make plays. And you probably need that to be part of your game, but not the mm. initial aspect of your game. So um, not saying he can't throw. I fully believe he can. Um, but sometimes you do need a mentality change of trust your line, stay in the pocket, make the throw, stuff like that. And I think if he can get that through his head, along with Marcus Freeman, because it takes two to tango, right? Marcus Freeman's then got to make sure the offense is suited for a now more athletic quarterback and let him make plays with the legs and call some quarterback runs, et cetera, et cetera. I think if they can kind of meet in the middle uh, on both of them, this can, this can be the offense that we thought it could be because it kind of became extremely reliant on Audric Estime this yeah. season. It, it kind of became very reliant on, can we run the ball? If we can't, we might be in trouble. I, I think that's the difference that Riley Leonard gives is one, you're not just reliant on a quarterback or excuse me, a running back in the run game. You bring him in there, and it changes how defenses have to play against you. Uh, but also just forgetting the run game entirely. Can you move the ball through the air consistently? If he can do that and add on quarterback read options and the run game and extend plays and un unscripted uh, runs, stuff like that, along with uh, a good offensive line, along with a strong running back, stuff like that, you're there to be in the top 12 at the end of the season and, and play in the playoffs. Uh, I think it's a great fit. I think it's a great pull for Marcus Freeman. Um, and now all they, they got to do is, is get him into the system and get, get him winning games. Yeah. And, and I, I, you mentioned Audric estimate. I don't 
know whether or not he's declared the NFL draft yet. Uh, I, I think if he ends up coming back, oh boy, that could end up being a, a, a pretty potent rushing attack for Notre Dame. I think that makes for a very interesting group. So I do want to correct one thing I just said. So I said it was Duke's highest ever ranking. I think they got up to number 14. Uh, it was actually the highest ranking since 1994. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Still a very long time for a non-football school that you led to uh, a bull win last year. Um, and, and then, of course, you, you led them to a, a really strong season before the injury this year. Um, but his, his rushing totals, he's run for more than 1,000 yards just in the last year and a half and change and thrown for over 4,000. So the talent is there. I think it makes for a very intriguing move for Riley Leonard up to Notre Dame. Moving on, uh, the the state of Miami, or the state of Miami. I like to call them the state of Miami uh, because they like to consider their little bubble down there as its own little world. Cam Ward and Will Howard, the number three and four player in the transfer portal at the quarterback position, both are on visits there uh, over the course of this week. Cam Ward, of course, is now moving up to Florida State as we move through the week. Uh, all these players are making the moves. They're do- doing a lot of different things down there and, and checking out as many options as they can. Uh, we talked about this last week when we when we last uh, spoke here. There are a lot of programs, a lot of top programs that are looking for quarterbacks. And there are a lot of blue blood type of quarterbacks that are actually out there for the taking. So we're going to see very interesting decisions and moves over the next couple of days. But I just wanted to throw that out there. Cam Ward and Will Howard down at Miami. I think Miami could be a very big player when it comes to all of this. I actually would say Miami is the biggest player when it comes to a team that's looking for a quarterback that's in desperate need of a quarterback. Miami makes the most sense to me, at least of all of the big dogs. I know you're going to say Ohio State. I, <laughs> I don't know if Ohio State's. I don't know if Ohio State's going to take a quarterback. I'm not yeah. 100 sure. I'm not as certain as you are. Yeah, I, I, I mean, if there are questions about who's taking quarterbacks, I understand that. Um, if I'm Cam Ward, I don't think I'm going to Miami. If we're being honest, and maybe NIL money can speak a little bit differently. I know they've got mm-hmm. some incredible boosters down there. Uh, but I don't think you step in. I don't think Miami's a quarterback away from competing for a title. And, and I know he's visiting the other school uh, a little bit northwest of Miami as well in Florida State. Look, Florida State's going to be out Jordan Travis. But how good is that program uh, next year potentially? Obviously, Johnny Wilson's already going mm-hmm. pro. Keon Coleman expected as well. Um, you know, how much talent will they have to replace? Because is it a situation where they're just a quarterback away? Um I still think he's a great fit at Ohio State. I think he enters the Heisman discussion at Ohio State. I don't know if I would say that about Miami uh, or Florida State, but I do think he can, um, you know, maybe not lead them to a national championship, but mm-hmm. kind of really get these programs back on track, especially Miami, who has fallen off. Had some quarterbacks that they, I mean, look, we're, we're not here to make a U is back joke, but you know that's what's going to be said if that's where he ultimately ends up is we're back. I mean, so, uh, you know, you go prove it on the field. But hey, I'm trying to think there there are, in my opinion, more – I almost said franchise, and now we're getting into the pro terms. I think there are more programs that need quarterbacks than there are good quarterbacks that I trust out there right now. And and I, I find it very interesting to see who's going to move quickly – on different types of quarterbacks because you've got the Cam Wards, the Will Howards who are ready to play right now. You've got the Dante Moores who maybe um, are a little bit more of a project with incredible upside. It's interesting to see how this is going to play out, but I think you've got 
you know, Graham Mertz says he's coming back to Florida. So they're, they're not looking for a quarterback out of the portal. They've also got a top recruit, but you're, you're talking about Florida state, in my opinion, and Miami, as you mentioned, both looking for transfer quarterbacks. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays itself out. I think I saw DJ, you may have been down at Florida state as he well. Was. So he was, um, look they're you don't have these guys in just to, to mislead stuff. They're, they're looking for one. And as you mentioned, Miami is too. If you were, uh, it, it, I, I guess we can't say that all things are even because Miami probably is going to get you more NIL money just based on my knowledge of collectives and boosters. But if you were uh, a top quarterback picking between Florida State and Miami, how, how would you grade those two positions, Garrett? Uh, I think it's very interesting. Of course, Florida State, your your reigning ACC champions, and, and Mike Norvell has made a very made it very clear that if you are talented and, and he fit his offense, he's going to go out and find you. Um, I don't know necessarily if, if Florida state's a more attractive option than Miami. I tend to disagree with you a little bit. I don't think that they're a quarterback away necessarily, but I think if you just have more consistent quarterback, you talking about Miami season. Yes. Miami. For Miami. Okay. If you just have consistent quarterback play over the course of the season this year, we're talking about them completely differently. But I mean, we're talking about this team, having won consistently at a high level this year. And I firmly believe that. I mean, you you have consistent quarterback play, and maybe you're a fumble away from losing to Georgia Tech, and then, yeah, you have some consistent quarterback play, and you beat North Carolina, and then you have consistent quarterback play. I mean, they had a lot of instances where, where they had chances to win football games that they lost because of interceptions or, or key miss, misses from a quarterback. So I don't necessarily think they're a quarterback away from a championship, but as far as – getting that program back to where it should be on an annual basis. I think you are a consistent quarterback away from that. I don't know if Cam Ward or Will Howard or, or DJU or, or any of those other guys are necessarily that dude. That's the question that I can't necessarily answer for you. Will Howard, I mean, we saw what he was able to do at Kansas State, but that's also Kansas State. Like, res- all due respect to Kansas State. But he, I mean, his You're his entering a completely talent, different sphere. Uh, you're entering a different level. He's more end. about like a, he's a a winner. He's a gamer. He'll he'll but like his high end talent is not where. But that's not what they need. I don't think they need a high end dude. I think they need kind of what we talked about with Tyler Van Dyke at, at Wisconsin. We, they just need some level of consistency. They need something where you know what you're going to get. And Tyler Van Dyke expectations were way up here, and I think that was why he needed the new start. They need to be like about here. And I think if you get a Will Howard, that's about where they're going to be. And that's going to be something where they're, they're going to snooze at. They're probably going to boo it on the on the message chat boards or whatever. Screw those guys, <laughs> first and foremost. But second off, maybe that's what they need. Maybe, that's, maybe that they don't need some guy who's going to come in here and throw for 40 touchdowns and like 5,000 yards or something insane. Like They need somebody who's going to come in here and give you 3,500 good yards, uh, not throw interceptions, complete the passes he needs to do, and then maybe get you – I don't know, 30 touch, 20, 20 touchdowns. Like maybe and then just run the ball effectively. It's not sexy. It's not sexy, but they don't need something sexy, but it's Miami. And that's, that's what they want. Uh, that's just kind of the way that they are. But of course they're bringing in quarterbacks. I think Miami is going to be a very interesting player to answer your question. I'd say Florida state, just because I think the brand's better. I think the fan base is better. I think the, the head coaching situation, I think I'd rather go play for Mike Norvell uh, just in general, but Moving on, I do want to talk about one coach who I think a lot of people really want to play for. He was the biggest thing in 
of the 2023 season. Like if you have your Time Magazine, Taylor Swift won Time Magazine Person of the Year. If we had a Person of the Year for Time Magazine for college football, it's Deion Sanders, period. I don't think anybody can disagree with that. Uh, he was the biggest news, whether you loved him or you hated him, you, you, you talked about him, you know. But the biggest thing that a lot of people talked about is the fact that they could not protect the quarterback. Shadur Sanders was hit more than any other quarterback in college football. They have now added, let me see, one, two, three, four, five different players over the last week and a half by way of the transfer portal. Five offensive linemen. On top of that, Jordan Seaton, the one of the, the number two overall offensive tackle from the great state, well, from the entire 2024 class, by the way. He just committed to, to Colorado. I think that was a huge get. Huge get. Got him out of the state of Florida. I think that they are finally doing the things that they need to do, building up the trenches. I think they learned the hard way last year that if you cannot protect the quarterback, you're not going to win a lot of football games. And Shadur Sanders got beat up a lot, and he wasn't able to go be Shadur Sanders. And I think he's doing the things that he needs to do right now. Not sexy, but the important stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with you. He he's taken look, he took great advantage of the portal in year one to do what they did, which is essentially just get a little bit of talent so we can compete. Yeah. Um, and then in year two, he's doing like he did in year one, what he needed to do, which is okay. We thought we were here, we have some talent, we're ready to compete. What are we lacking? Um, what are we severely lacking? And and that is keeping our best player upright. Um, with all respect to Travis Hunter, and I'm not going to argue who the best player on Colorado is, but I, I think you know what I'm what I'm suggesting here. Sure. Um, look, Shador Sanders is an outstanding talent. Uh, that I was unaware of until I saw him uh, at the higher level. Um, not the. I mean, he he is shockingly good. Um, to the point where he is looking at first round. NFL stock and to do that one he's got to get through a season healthy uh but he's also got to be given the opportunity to succeed and, and that's what Dion is trying to do and I think he's doing <clears throat> done a great job of it I, I would like to see a little bit more help on the other side of the ball as well uh because yeah. the defensive line got mauled and manhandled as well uh in conference uh, they were very easy to run against uh they did not get much pressure um so, hey, look, you, you, you can't address everything in one offseason. I, I think this is a good step. If you can get that offense to be competitive with Dion's knowledge of how to game plan on defense and some of the talent he's got there, including Travis Hunter and his son Shiloh, um, I, I think you mm -hmm. can put together a competent program, especially uh, in the conference that you're headed towards with a, a little bit lower level of, um, you know, competitiveness with some of the programs that have moved into the big 12 recently. Uh, I look, we, we talked about at the start of this year, uh, what was realistic. I, I think a bowl game though for Dion is realistic as they enter the pack. Uh, excuse me, the big 12. I, I think you're exactly right. It is very interesting for them. I think it's going to be very important for them as we move forward, but I do want to talk about something that's very interesting. Ta thinking of moves, Dylan Rayola, five-star quarterback the university of georgia or maybe formally for the university of georgia he has taken a visit to nebraska of course his uncle uh, coaches for uh the corn huskers up there his dad played there for the corn huskers i want to say his dad's number is retired i heard some people saying that this could be a leverage move by dylan rayola other people say that no he actually very realistically could go play for nebraska I, of course it's 
it's been the biggest news here of the last couple of days. It's not every day that you see a quarterback make a decision and then not stand by it. Generally speaking, your quarterbacks decide pretty quickly, and then they are quickly becoming one of your biggest recruiters. He's been that for Georgia. But over the last couple of weeks, that's trended towards Nebraska. And, of course, the biggest bomb of the week, uh, Wilt Funk. He had a Wilt bomb and changed his crystal ball to Nebraska. Would you have any thoughts on this one, Ed? Well, look, I will say this. I think it's unfortunate that this situation is playing out the way it has. And I don't mean with him making the decision or anything like that, but, um, you know, with the frustrations of fan bases and message boards and nasty uh, yeah. comments, stuff like that. I will say this. I'm glad it is uh, taking place now as opposed to – because I don't know the ugliness that could be behind it. You remember a year ago when Jaden Rashada was headed to Florida uh, and then oh, yeah. came out, he didn't get the NIL. Like, it's not that ugly to where we're dealing with, like, specific numbers and lies and promises, stuff like that. I, 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 look, the one thing I've learned over the past 15 years is if you're good enough, the NFL is going to find you. So I, I don't want to hear, like, you have to go to Georgia to get into the first round. Last time I checked, Georgia's not exactly pumping out first-round quarterbacks. Uh, Carson mm -hmm. Beck – Hopefully can change that uh, if he comes back. We'll see. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, look, this is the world you live in. And if you recruit and, and commit and someone comes in with a late NIL offer that they didn't have at the time you committed, like I, I'm not blaming these kids. No. I'm not blaming these kids for taking money, uh, especially not. And, and, and look, you can, everyone can judge for themselves the real reason that there's, as you wrote it up, drama or the potential of a change. Uh, you look, you tell me if it's NIL money, if it's a chance to play immediately, if it's the fact that you don't have to go through a quarterback competition. Um, or quite honestly, there is a, a real scenario where it's just this is his family's legacy. And I think you have to accept – I know you may not want to hear it. I know you may want to say, well – the for his future going to Georgia is the clear and obvious answer of what he should look. If you feel that way, that's fine. But I, I don't think you can deny that there are some ties here um, that, that, that change some of the aspects of the discussion. And, and so if anything, this is, and I know, look, you have limited scholarships for schools and they want to fill out their class and know they got people coming. This, to me, is a reason why I think if I were a high school student-athlete, I would not be committing early. I would leave my recruitment open, and and um, I, I would make sure that there's no second-guessing, nothing's changing my mind, that I am locked in. And it's so odd, and not even in this situation. I mean, yes, in this situation, but anytime we see a guy that's committed, take official visits elsewhere. It's like, what, what are we doing here? Like, are you committed or not? Um, and, and it just raises an unnecessary level of questioning and all that stuff. I have no problem. <laughs> if Dylan Riola wants to go to Nebraska, I wish him well at Nebraska. I would love to see what he can do with that program. We know our buddy, John Fricky is extremely excited about the potential <laughs> of a guy like that going to Nebraska and potentially resurrecting that program, which needs to be resurrected. It is one of the historically great programs in the history of college football. There's no denying what it was, but also there's no denying what it has been the past 20 years. And there's also no denying what Georgia has become 
the past 20 years. I, I think if you're dealing with different schools and different scenarios, it wouldn't be this big of a deal. Um, but you're also leaving the <clears throat> number one program or, or number two, three, whatever you want to rank Georgia nowadays, top five program to go to a Nebraska team um, that's somewhere in the 40s, right? I mean, the 30s, whatever you want it to be. So uh, I understand that, but I just think the discussions are a little bit different. And look, yeah. is NIL in play here? Absolutely. They, 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 you can't deny it. That's the start of mm-hmm. almost every discussion uh, when it comes to recruitment for top players. They, they, there's, But you also have to admit um, – that I don't think this changes the fact that can he make it to the NFL from Nebraska? Yeah, yes, he can. That right. doesn't affect anything. And is there mm-hmm. a very real family tie to this school? There is. A- a- and if it were different, maybe if there were extremely, this came out of the out of nowhere, uh, we talk about it differently. Uh, I don't think we talk about it much differently. I, I think this is a guy that committed early. Um and kept his recruitment open unofficially and and changed his mind. And look, these kids are 18 years old. They, they, they changed their minds um, and different factors came into play. And um, so here we are. And now, look, the other aspect is he's not there yet. I, I, I mean, I think we all feel like he has to go at this point because of how it's played out. I don't think he can go back to Georgia at this point. Uh, oh, and that's, I just I don't think that's true at all. I I think it would be odd and weird at this point, and I think that they'd get it, over it. I, I think They'll they would. I, I agree with you. Um, but it, it 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 just a reminder that it is not official that he has at. I mean, he is physically at Nebraska, but you know, what I mean, he is not signed for Nebraska yet. So he hasn't um, even taken the visit yet. It's not. Well, till, I think I think Saturday. he was there to. I saw a picture of him the other day. It may have been an old. 15th. It may 15th. have been an old picture. So um, yeah. So. It, it's it's kind of wild. It's kind of crazy. Like, why would the top quarterback or second best quarterback in the country want to not go to UGA? I understand that, but it's not quite as simple as that. No, and I, I think the the people who are sitting there freaking out. Of course, we live, we're in Georgia, so we see all the Georgia fans going going nuts about this. Plus, they have fourteen different players who've entered the portal now. The world's not caving in. Aaron Rodgers said it best. R-E-L-A-X, relax. Georgia was not built on one player. They had never been built on one player. That was one of the reasons that they became what they are now. You look at this recruiting class, people are like, oh my God, they're about to lose Dylan Real. So what? It's okay. They have another four-star quarterback that's included in this class as well. They're going to be just fine. If they lose Dylan Rayola over the weekend, they'll still have 14 top 150 players. They still have the number one class in America. Like, I'm not worried about them. I don't think Georgia fans should be worried about them either. This is a program, that the, the only time that you should ever be worried is if you go to sleep one morning or go to sleep one day, wake up in the morning, and you see uh, the first thing you see when you open up your phone is that Kirby Smart's moving on to the NFL or Kirby Smart's retiring. That's when you should start worrying. I don't think that anybody needs to be freaking out over the decision of an 18-year-old boy, just respectfully. I think Dylan Rayola can do a lot of big things and be the dude at Nebraska. I think they, if he goes in and performs at the highest of levels, they'll build him a statue because you returned Nebraska to prominence. You come to Georgia and you do that same thing, you'll be celebrated. You won't have to pay for a drink ever again, but you're not going to be celebrated necessarily to the level that you would up in Nebraska. Just speaking candidly, that, and maybe that's based on no fact whatsoever. That's just 
based off of where the programs are right now and what expectations are when you come in. I think the, if he does go to Nebraska, good for him. I think that'd be great. Um, of course, he has the family ties there, and it would further perpetuate this myth that exists. I don't even want to call it a myth. It, it kind of isn't one at all. Georgia cannot get Buford kids. And for anybody watching this podcast from outside of Georgia, Buford High School is an institution. Buford High School is a football factory. For whatever reason, Georgia cannot get kids to commit from Gwinnett County. That factory over there at Buford High School, it's like 30, 45 minutes away from Athens, but they, for whatever reason, can never get a Buford kid. And one of the jokes was that Dylan Rayola transferred into Buford. They're like, hey, we're finally going to get our Buford kid. And then, of course, all this stuff starts happening right now. Um, the only other one that I can think of that actually came from Buford, actually, is Isaac Nauda played tight end at Georgia. He actually transferred to IMG Academy for his senior year. So he's not even technically a Buford kid. So I know that that perpetuates some some ridiculous stereotype that exists from Georgia and Buford, but I just thought it was funny. I wanted to throw that in there. Real quick, you said something interesting, and I just want to uh, spin it around on you and follow up. You, you sure. talked about Georgia fans shouldn't panic, um, you know, unless they see Kirby Smart is retiring or heading to the NFL. Should Georgia fans panic if Carson Beck ends up going to the NFL or hitting the portal as opposed to returning? I think that that would be something to start concer- being concerned about. Yes. Um, because and, of course- and, and that's where you would tie this whole Rayola thing back is yes. it, it's not a big deal. If Carson Beck does come back, it might be mm-hmm. a bigger deal if he leaves. And, and I'm operating on the assumption leaving, that Carson Beck is coming back. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have no reason to believe I, I saw some rumor. I think somebody tweeted about it today. Someone from uh, our, our station, 92, nine, the game in Atlanta. I thought I saw somebody tweet about it saying, oh, well, he's asking for $4 million to come back, which, okay, I don't know if that's true or There's not. There's a reason I, it's a rumor and no one I actually know and trust is reported. Until it. I see somebody that I, I know is connected to the program tweet something about that or tell me something about that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put any, I also think there's, I also think there's a situation where you're just calling their bluff It's like, all right, well, look, we'll give you 1.5 or whatever. We're not giving you four. If you want to go into the NFL draft, good luck. Like, like good luck. And look, that's not the best, like you don't want him to return on bad blood or any of that stuff. But I I do think there's going to be a lot more situations of calling these players bluffs than, than people think. I think it's, and that's probably what it's going to take to to really reset this market because I don't think that this can continue where players are making seven figure deals and, and then going out and saying, well, now I want this like, okay. All right. Someone's going to, someone's got to get a handle on it eventually. But um, ultimately I think Carson Beck's going to come back and and Georgia's going to be just fine. Uh, If they end up having to go with Gunnar Stockton, he's also a fantastic option at quarterback. He's a a former four-star recruit. You have another four-star recruit coming in. If that's what they end up with, I think they'll be okay. Uh, It wouldn't be necessarily where a lot of people would want them to be just as far as experience is concerned. Because of course you have road trips to Texas and Alabama next year. And you want to make someone experienced in, in, under, under center in games like that. So I think it'd be interesting. I would be very surprised if Carson Beck doesn't come back just based off of how this season has finished. Of course, with the SEC title game, uh, they come up just short in that game. And then they don't get a chance to go play for a national championship. And one of the things that he was very adamant about, something he talked about a lot, was the fact that he wants to go win his own national championship. He doesn't count the ones that Setson Bennett won as championships he won. 
he wants to be the starting quarterback of a national championship team. And I take him at his word for that. Just to counter that, I also heard Marvin Harrison say he wants to beat Michigan and win a Big Ten title. But yeah, I but think Marvin Harrison, I know, I know, it's, it's he's a, a little fire top five pick, top three. He might even be the number one overall pick. I'm just Doesn't saying, I saw the same comments. That's all. I do. I understand it. I understand it. Marvin Harrison Jr. Of course, he's going to leave Ohio State, assuming that he goes to the NFL draft, which I think he'd be kind of foolish not to. Um, he would leave having never won a Big Ten title, having never beaten Michigan having never won a college football playoff game. I think that's just an interesting fact. Uh, but let's move on because I do want to get into some of these bowl games quickly as we're finishing up here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. Before we move in, I do want to ask you guys, make sure you hit that like button, make sure you subscribe so you can see all this great college football conversation. We're going to be doing this all throughout the bowl season, so make sure you're reminded of it. Drop us, hit that subscribe button, make sure you hit the notification button. That way you get notified whenever a new video comes up. But thank you all for joining us right here. But Abe, let's move into some bowl conversation quickly. We're just going to glaze through some of these games really quickly. We're going to start with my Georgia Southern Eagles. They're playing in the Myrtle, G Myrtle Beach Bowl. Uh, I think this is a, a very interesting one for a couple of reasons. Because, of course, the Georgia Southern Eagles are playing. But they have sputtered down the, down the stretch. They lost four games in a row after having an opportunity to go win the Sun Belt East, which is a really tough conference a really tough division within a cup conference but they lost four games in a row they're coming in sputtering ohio is has won five bowl games in a row dating back to 2016 uh but it is worth noting they have a number of players hitting the transfer portal right now uh quarterback curtis work is uh is in the transfer portal alongside both of its top running backs bangura and allison those three players alone have accounted for every single rushing touchdown that the Bobcats have had this year. I think that could end up playing into Georgia Southern's hands just because their defense has struggled down the stretch. They haven't really been able to, to, to get a lot going on the defensive side of the ball, but the offense, I think if you can find some success against a pretty stout Ohio defense, then they got a good shot, but they got to score early. If they want to turn this into a scoring fest in a perfect world for Ohio, they want to keep that scoring down. Well, first off, let me say it's great for this to be the game that kicks off bowl season, just being here in Atlanta, having, uh, you know, people who went to Georgia Southern uh, root for Georgia Southern. And the bowl game's not that far from here. Myrtle Beach uh, is, is a simple drive for those who may still want to attend that game. I'm sure that tickets are still available. Uh, Georgia Southern's actually favored three and a half points. And I think yeah. a lot of the reasons you pointed out there, there are going to be questions on offense in regards to Ohio. And this is the team that is not the most explosive on offense when they had all their players. Uh, you can routinely find them uh, in, in the mid twenties winning games. And, and so I think what you pointed out is right. If, if Southern can get into that 20, 25, 28 point area, uh, they should feel pretty good about coming out with a win, especially because you, you do imagine uh, like you said, Ohio is going to be limited and you're going to see that for a lot of these games, for a lot of these smaller schools with guys that have hit the transfer portal. Uh, it's an unfortunate side effect. Um, to an extent, I do kind of wish that the portal would open after bowl season, but uh, obviously with how the college football offseason and all that stuff works, I, I understand why they do what they do. Yeah, it makes good sense to me. I, I honestly tend to agree. I wish the bowl season would kind of be left alone. Just let them do all this stuff and prepare for their bowls and celebrate the season that they had. Uh, and say, and let, maybe have one last opportunity to really show off uh, before you move into uh, the transfer portal. But 
Look, at the end of the day, Georgia Southern turns the ball over a lot. They have 26 turnovers this season, which is just an incredibly high number. Um, if they could avoid the big turnover and then start early, because this Ohio defense has allowed zero 400-yard games this season, then I think this could be at least a very interesting game on paper. <clears throat> Let's move to another game that's happening right here in Atlanta. Uh, the Celebration Bowl, Howard in Florida A&M. Out of the seven total Celebration Bowls that we've seen, five of those were decided by one score. I think that we could be seeing another one of those types of games. Two pretty stout defenses, Florida A&M. They flex a pretty strong defense that's second in FCS in total total and scoring defense. They've allowed 20 points to fellow FCS opponents just twice this year. Meanwhile, the Howard Bison, they have one of the best secondaries in FCS, according to the numbers. I think this could be a really interesting game, even just for just a casual football fan. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the Celebration Bowl, of course, these two are two HBCU programs. Um, I, I think this is it's just a fun game, and I think this will be a great game to, uh, to celebrate HBCUs. Yeah, very interesting. Obviously, FAMU comes in at 11-1, but Howard at 6-5 and five has had an odd season in general. They lost four of their last six. They've <clears> actually won four of their last five, so they have been trending upwards, uh, and you look to see if they can continue that here. An incredible atmosphere, uh, a legendary game being played mm-hmm. here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium uh, right downtown Atlanta. So I look forward to this. It's going to be nationally televised. You're talking about ABC. They're bringing out all the fireworks for this game. It's going to be a fun uh, a fun duel on Saturday. The New Orleans Bowl is also happening on Saturday. Jacksonville State, they didn't have to have a waiver after all. They are playing in their first ever bowl game against the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Should make for a very interesting one there. Um Jacksonville State, the Gamecocks made it because there weren't enough bowl-eligible teams at the end of the day. They go through the, all of the drama and everything as the season goes on. They were, uh, of course, James Madison got all the attention because they were undefeated at the time. They were 10-0 when they were going through all of that stuff. But Jacksonville State was right there with them. Uh, they were bowl-eligible. This is a program that likes to, to run the ball. They get out and running under Rich Rodriguez. They average... 4.2 yards per carry or better in all seven of their wins this season. And they've run for as many as 522 yards this year. This is a Louisiana Raging Cajuns defense. That's, that's okay. I guess not super great. Uh, but I think that you they lacked the pop to really run with Jacksonville State in a game like this. What say you? Yeah, Jacksonville State's favorite in this one. I think three and a half points. And, and it took <clears> a <throat> final week win for Louisiana just to get to a bowl game, uh, finish the year at six and six. Um, they do expect this one to be a little bit higher scoring, which is, uh, I mean, look, you always look for that, especially if you're not a huge fan of teams. Like, just let's throw a bunch of touchdowns on the board. <laughs> let's have some fun out there. It's already in New Orleans. Man. Like, you're dealing with all the nonsense of NOLA. Uh, but they're talking about like a 60-point over-under. So uh, this is one that could be super fun, 215 kickoff on Saturday afternoon, uh, boy, oh boy. I, I mean, look, there are six games, I think, on Saturday. I may have miscounted maybe seven mm-hmm. bowl games on Saturday. So uh, this is going to be right in the heart of the part of the day where you're just gearing up uh, for it. So it's going to be a fun one, and then you've got some real power programs coming later throughout the day. Of course, and that starts with the Cure Bowl, Miami of Ohio versus App State, the MAC champion versus the runner up in the Sunbelt Conference in App State. Miami of Ohio is now playing without a quarterback. Avion Smith is transferring. Brett Gabbert is injured. They're going to be relying on Henry Hessen. Uh, this is a game that they're going to have to win with stout red zone defense. They've been allowed 
more than 16 points in its last five games. But now you get an App State offense that really likes to get out and score. And this is a group that really shows up for bowl games. They're six and one since moving to the FBS level in 2014. Unlike Jacksonville State, they didn't have the, the luxury of playing in a bowl game their first year despite qualifying for it. But since 2015, they've qualified for a bowl just about every single season. And they're six and one in those games. Very similar to their fellow Sunbelt uh, 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 team that's playing in Georgia Southern. I think that if, if App State's able to get out and score some points early in this game, I'm not sure that the, the Red Hawks will be able to keep pace. Yeah. App State's a program that has traditionally been the team to beat in the Sun Belt. I know we had James Madison walk in this year, but Troy mm-hmm. also went 11 and 2. So App State's going to try and take this game and gain some momentum because they want to reestablish themselves next season as the squad to beat. They were 8 and 5 on the year. They had some tough losses, including uh, an incredible game uh, at North Carolina or, uh, earlier this season. Uh, that may have been actually at home against them. No, it was at North Carolina. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're a team that can score. They're a team that can play defense. But like you said, um, running the ground game is is going to be important. And it's also going to be important to see who's kept some momentum, who's kept their players invested over the short break, uh, the 10-plus days, 20-plus uh, days off if you weren't in a conference title game, um, you, you know, to get to the, the end of the regular season into bowl season. Yeah, so let's move into the New Mexico Bowl. New Mexico State versus Fresno State. New Mexico State, of course, we saw the – the huge win that they had against Auburn. Can they replicate that against Fresno State? What say you? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, the other thing is, is in, I don't know how you feel about teams playing in bowl games real, real close to home, but they may have a, a significant advantage uh, crowd-wise uh, with the New Mexico Bowl and New Mexico State. I mean, you can do the math and, and, and figure that out a little bit further um, from, from, uh, uh, Fresno state. The other aspect here is interesting is Jeff Tedford stepped away from Fresno state, uh, mm-hmm. due to some health reasons, uh, a little, uh, about two weeks ago. And so there's some situations there where they got to make sure that they're not taking any steps back from the coaching perspective. I think that's something to keep an eye on in this game. If it is close in the second half, is Fresno state stuffer from Tedford not being there? Are they um, in good shape with, with an interim head coach at a bowl game? Um, or, or does that impact how things play out down the stretch? Yeah, and moving into an L.A. Bowl that features UCLA and Boise State, you talked about home field advantage, the L.A. Bowl, and UCLA. They're going to be playing over there in the great city of Los Angeles, the city of Angels. These are two quarterbacks who have lost their quarterbacks. Both players have jumped into the portal, Taylor Green and Dante Moore. Dante Moore, of course, the former five-star player who uh, really is probably the top player in the transfer portal or one of the top, at least, signal callers in the portal. Uh, additionally, Leatu Latu has declared for the NFL draft. He is one of the best defenders in this class. I think he was a, a finalist for the Big Narek, um, which is the, goes to the top defensive player in college football. I think this makes for a very interesting matchup because I think Boise State will be very into this game. Of course, they just signed up to their they just signed the the the, the interim head coach. His name is escaping me off the top of my head. Um but he just signed a long-term deal to get, become the head coach of that program. He's one of the youngest coaches in college football. I think this team is going to be fired up to play for their new head coach. UCLA, is there going to be a lack of interest in this one? I think that's going to be very telling early in this one. Yeah, you got a couple things I was going to point out. Obviously, Boise State uh, played their way into the conference title game uh, with an interim head coach, the first time that had happened mm-hmm. in forever. 
Um, and, and so they are going to be motivated to play and continue playing for Spencer Danielson there. Uh, even without the That's quarterbacks, it. uh, it's going to be very interesting. UCLA was a team that I thought would be a lot better defensively throughout the season than they were. It, it, I'm interested to see Boise State without their starting quarterback uh, if they can take advantage um, of, like you said, it, it was a weird year for UCLA. There was a rumor that Chip Kelly was going to be uh, put on the sideline uh, and and they would be looking for a new head coach. He, he gets a big win late in the year um, and that doesn't happen. So it, mentally, where is each team? I do believe, like you said, Boise State's going to be amped up, ready to go. I don't know if UCLA is in that same mindset based on how things have gone with the program and, and based on, I don't know how this could impact it, but you are moving to the big 10 uh, a year from now. Does that change anything heading into this game? So um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm going to be very interested to see, but I, I still think overall UCLA's defense should be talented enough to limit uh, a Boise state offense that doesn't have green uh, back there, tossing it around. Ashton Ginty is going to be one person I'm really going to keep my eye on in this game. He was the mountain West offensive player of the year. Despite missing two games this year, uh, he was electric. He's fun to watch. He averaged 169 yards of total offense this year. He can do it through the air. He can do it through the, on the ground, and he scores a lot of touchdowns. I think he's going to be the biggest difference maker in this football game, the running back for Boise State. But finally, the nightcap of the day, in the, the Independence Bowl, California versus Texas Tech. I think this is a kind of game where Cal wants to keep it low, but Texas Tech, wants to get out there and score some points. Um, I think ultimately this is a kind of game that comes down to who turns the ball over more. Both of these squads turn the ball over in heaps. Cal has 24. Uh, it was kind of a steady trickle as the season went on. Uh, Texas Tech, on the other hand, just turned the ball over in all of their losses. The four games that they lost, four games that they lost this year, 15 of their 21 total turnovers came in those four losses. I, I think at the end of the day, if you're Cal, that means you want to turn that ball over as much as you possibly can. And same can be said for Texas Tech. Yeah, Morton for Texas Tech has turned it over. Uh, th- or excuse me, thrown seven interceptions. Mendoza for Texas Tech, for Cal. God, I keep flipping teams. Uh, he's thrown seven interceptions. So, yeah, you're right. The, ball, the ball's up for grabs in the air. The ball's up for grabs uh, on the ground. Uh, it's going to be very interesting for, for what is a, essentially a newly ACC Big 12 challenge. Uh, so, Looking forward for that to play out uh, on the hardwoods at some point as well. But, um, yeah, it, it, this is just a, a good old-fashioned two Power 5 programs getting after it in a bowl game. Uh, and uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, man, like end the game early and go get some gumbo. Hit the jambalaya <laughs> spots. Like fill your belly, have some fun, get out of there safely, and uh, enjoy the rest of the bowl season. Uh, you got a long way to go with a lot more games coming after this one. Yeah, I think Texas Tech is going to retain enough of its players to, to really go out and get a win in this game. But it should make a very interesting one between Cal and Texas Tech, the Red Raiders over there. Uh, I think this should be a great bowl season, great primer to what we can expect. And, of course, we're going to discuss all of those different things right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. But, Abe, that's it for us. We're just getting started, man. The month of December is one of the more important ones. We have our early signing period that's coming up in about a week or so. Uh, the, the transfer portal, of course, is going to keep – progressing over the next three weeks as we finish up and get into bowl season. And we're going to talk about all those bowl games too. So make sure you're liking, make sure you're subscribing, make sure you stay right here. Keep it with us right here on college football overtime, but that's it for us today for Abe Gordon. My name is Garrett Chapman. We are college football overtime. We'll see you next week.